I had to. I'm sorry. I, I had to. I, I had to cut the tension. Yeah. <laughs> there was no tension there. <laughs> the way you were staring at him. That was a mean look. Hell. <laughs> I don't know why I always get the angry dad look from Jeremy. It's like every episode at some point he's like. It's <laughs> a natural I, anger, you know, Jeremy. There's no dad in there at all. It's just Jeremy. I expect too much of people. That's kind of the thing. <laughs> I expect you to act like an adult because you're almost 30 years old or are 30 years old. You can expect in one hand and want in the other and tell me which one fills up faster. Yeah. Okay. I don't care. Yeah. Welcome to the Washdown Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Green. This is my host, co-host, Chris Nelson, and with us, our producer, James Moraine. They let me on camera again. You need a new line. Well, I'm happy to be on camera again. Okay. Well, I'm happy that it's, you're it's on It's a line I again. use once every, like, fifth episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a, the, the quota joke? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just remembering the voting thing from way back in the day where the one fifth thing. Yeah, I th- I'd like to thank all the users that emailed the show and requested my face again. <laughs> all none of you. So, so did you use the one out of five on purpose? No, not or really. Just but kind it's, of happy coincidence. Yeah, it was just happy coincidence, I guess. Hey, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I'll explain <it> later. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> All of a sudden, we become American Idol. Oh, do I get the little X thing for Jeremy? Because <laughs> cue theme <on>. music. <laughs> it's a no for me. I don't think that's American Idol. I it's, think that's uh, uh, whatever. They're all the same. It's not Dancing with the Stars. Uh, what's the other one? That's the one. No, it's the one. Honey Klum. Oh Lord. America's Next Top Model. No, America's Got Talent. America's Got Talent with Nick Cannon's untalented ass. Wow. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> it's the truth. Come on, man. You, you can be a gigolo. <laughs> anyway, what's up yeah. for discussion today, Dad? So for discussion today. Uh, well, we want to talk about something positive, changes we've seen, and just, I mean, we're going to let the conversation kind of go where it goes. So, mm. Oh, dip. Yeah. <laughs> we could go anywhere. <laughs> Okay, with I'm on reason. a boat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you wearing your flippy floppies? Dude, Always. Let's do a podcast episode on a boat. Only if T Pain's there. And auto tuned. All of us are auto tuned. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I really should figure out how to auto tune. On this thing, that would can be I, awesome. Can I wear a Hawaiian shirt? Oh, why, we need to start having dress theme days, you? like Hawaiian shirt days. I go like old Hawaii Five O though, where it's going to be unbuttoned. Maybe a little Magnum PI show my Maybe chest here. Minnesota Viking outfit days. That'd be cool too. You, well, if you're going to go well, Magnum PI, you have to wear the Hawaiian shirt with the booty shorts. Oh, where's the booty shorts? We have to adjust the camera angle back down. Again. <laughs> <laughs> I might. I might even shave my legs. Why? Nobody in the 80s shaved their legs. Well, you would have to readjust the lighting for how white his legs are, though. Both of you. Yeah, I'm pretty tan. I got olive skin, man. I got a year-round tan. Hmm. You got nothing, so don't even try and debate it. You know what? Whenever I was younger... I've seen people use you to paint match, so don't even start. 
When I was younger, I had quite the tan, but I was outside all the time. That, so that wasn't a tan; that's a sunburn. That's not tan. That red is not tan. That's why I keep telling Jane, she's not tan. Those are freckles, dude. So, have you seen? You met my dad, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever he came and visited. Yeah, we had dinner with him that one night for your birthday, and then I yeah. think two other times he came in town. For most of his life, my dad was darker than Moran. Your dad still talks to you? That must be nice. My dad passed away two years ago, but thanks. <laughs> I never talks to me. <laughs> I talk to my dad daily. Whoopity. I just... I want to be part of the conversation. <laughs> if you're, if you're here, interested in being a new host on the washdown, we now have an application <laughs> opening. Must have space for us to continue doing the washdown. <laughs> so you you were talking about kind of the positives been going on, especially like in mental health when it comes to first responders, healthcare personnel. Yeah. Something I've really noticed we our cultures are so reactive. That's never been a never been a question in any of our minds but it seems like you know especially our viewers out there we do talk about some of the negatives but like like you said we don't talk about the positives and there are there are a lot the the effort the thought process has changed there's been so many programs started a lot even non-for-profit and even some of our first responders we're seeing you know municipalities really start to take that effort whether it be through like those first responders local unions or even the city themselves it's it's not looked at as a terrible thing anymore now we don't necessarily have all the research and development to where it should be but i think we've begun to change the stigma a little bit or or look at it as a health crisis just like it should be treated as right well and and that's the thing there are way more resources now than there were even 10 years ago so like you know the thing with the iaff like they're actually I don't know if they have it completed yet, but they're trying to build their own facility. Yeah, and they're in fact for that they're building because um, they've got one on the East Coast. The, yeah. what was it the X Center for Center Excellence. for Excellence. Excellence? Yeah, they've got one. They are building one in Phoenix right now. I think it is. Could be. Oh, you and, would know more about. Yeah, that and they're getting to. They're discussing building another one in the Midwest. And Which, you know, that's, and that's yeah. huge. So for the listeners that aren't familiar with the Centers for Excellence, they are essentially. Um you know, residential mental health treatment, but they're not some brick and mortar, just, you know, psychiatric hospitals. They're designed like firehouses. They have, they have bunks, they have community kitchens, they have day rooms. It's, it's set very, you know, to, what's the word? Simulate, you know, like a traditional firehouse, because as we've talked in episodes before, like some of our best uh, therapy is at the kitchen table amongst ourselves solving our own problems now also some of our worst therapy <laughs> is at the kitchen table but i was gonna say that but you know like that's the that's the setting a lot of us are most comfortable with it's just the five six ten whatever person intimate setting where it's off the record there is no you know now some of these centers for excellence have the professionals to help guide these conversations help guide ideas for you know improved coping skills but it's that and keep you on track too yeah because yeah. you know it is typical kitchen you know, fire station talk, it starts in here, and the next thing you know, you're talking about cars or women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you may circle, yeah, yeah, may fix the world's problems instead of fixing your own. But you know, yeah. you know, all conversations come back to two things, right? What's that? Pooping and fornicating. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, you, you think I'm lying? 
Start paying attention. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not playing on my phone either. I'm looking something up. Okay. I, I well, something I had. And so that's something that I didn't know about the whole it being designed like a fire station. But, I mean, it makes sense, especially because, like you said, it's familiarity. And that can be huge in the recovery process and making you feel comfortable. Um, I do see a little bit of a drawback in that because I know that for me personally can get into a mentality whenever I'm at the station of, you know, I'm at the station and your walls are built up. Yeah. Like we've said so many times, the last thing a lot of times ever suffer for us is the job. So if you put us in a setting familiar to our job, we're great actors. Yeah. Which could be the downside, but you know, I'm, I'm sure that they did some kind of research or I would hope that they did some kind of research. Yeah. (laughs) Three functional, barely functional idiots, but yeah. So did you look up what you needed? Yeah. So I had to write a paper for one of my classes and I did it on mental health. So just a couple of things that I found that kind of go into the research, what we were talking about. So I know I'm on my phone. So, and first responders, suicide ideations, about 46.8%. The first responders have had some sort of suicidal thought. First responders that have reported it. Reported, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> suicide attempts, 15.5. Deaths by suicide are 30.5 per 100,000. That study was done in 2020. So there's another one. So they did a study, and this was done. It was it came out this year, so in the last few months. They did it was a 12 month study. Uh, depression rate is seven percent for first responders. All right, that's normal population. I'm sorry, for first responders, it's 15 to 26 percent for depression. Uh, some form. Uh, or one, one or another. So as I said, my, even when I wrote my paper, I wrote even at the low end, you're more than double population and we're a small fraction of that. Mm-hmm. So the studies are being done. And there was another one. Got to find it. Sorry, if I would have, if I had my computer, I could actually read it on a big screen. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually find it a lot easier. Well, proper preparation. I didn't expect to. So you didn't know out. you were getting a dad lesson today, did you? So, uh, one here, shut up. So I, I, I talked about PTSD, you know, the drinking, eating disorders, uh, drugs, that kind of kind of stuff. Um, eighty percent of both paramedics and firefighters experienced one or more of the following types of traumatic ex, uh, exposures: serious transportation accident, <clears throat> sudden violent death, fire explosion, severe human suffering, and sudden accidental death. So right there can lead you into your PTSD as well. They did a survey of 1,788 emergency medical service professionals across 13 uh, countries, found that 65% reported being on duty when physically attacked. That's something we haven't really talked about, us being assaulted and that leading into your PTSD and your issues. Today's Tuesday. I literally got punched in the face and had to press charges two days ago. There you go. I should have seen it coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it even, it even says in there 90% of the time, the perpetrator was the patient. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I then, mean, I've... And here was my issue. There's another study that I had an issue with. So they used <clears throat> 11,027 fire service emergency medical professionals. So no cops. Yeah. So my problem with this, and it wasn't so much a, 
of what they were studying because they were studying the mental health effects. Here's the people that were involved. 94% were white males. And 81.3% had a mean age of 40. That was the pool they chose from. You know, it's interesting. Mental health effects different races, differently, different cultures, different creeds, even different religions because of what you're brought up as yeah. and how to deal with stuff. And as I pointed out in this, the, um, the study they're doing, it's, it's great. It's a good start. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. But when you're going to study a profession like this, you got to make it, you know, as so broad diverse. as the profession. Yeah. I mean, take whoever, and it could have been, that's who signed up to help. I don't mm-hmm. know. That you knew about it. I didn't know about it. Yeah. You know, but, and they could have just pulled information. And that's what, what they happened to get. I don't know. I don't know how they got the people they got. Yeah. But you need to do men, women, you know, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, and then everything in between. You know, sexual orientations even. I yeah. Mean, when, like, we I, talked I brought about that up. Our, yeah, like with our law enforcement officer that does like procedure and stuff like yeah. just different policies and different things that pertain to them. It's all perceived so differently. It is. Cause you know, yeah. we'll read it one way. And then if I me, mean, if you're gay, you might take offense to it. We don't know. Or if you, if you're a gay man, you want to have long hair and you can't, or you're just, you know, a, a gay woman, you might want to have short hair, which isn't a problem. But what if you're a straight woman? Yeah, and you, you want to have long hair because that's how you but you identify as. Here's the thing: at least so that study, you know, shows to me is that, it, and it kind of goes back to when we had your wife on and just talked about cultural cultural competency. Yeah, we're not trying to address mental health, you know, amongst first responders, law enforcement, you know, law enforcement officers, EMS, fire nurses, with the same blanket approach we approach society. Um, you know, the cultural competency, and that's one of the positive things I've been seeing is that. We're finally saying, wait, 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 wait. This is different. Let's backpedal a little bit here and see, A, how it's different, mm-hmm. and B, you know, how can we address it differently? Like just what we talked about a little bit ago with this um, IAFF Center for Excellency. Um, you know, that's huge. And it's just, even with the studies, it, it's on us, though, too. Like we have to participate in those. You know, when they do these things, don't say, I'm not doing that shit. So I don't see, have time for that. Like I brought that up in my paper, too. The more yeah. we engage in it, the more they know. Well, and I think that's where it, and we'll talk about this probably in a few weeks or whatever um, with one of our guests about leadership. That's where it comes down to leadership of making it clear to everybody, the membership, guys like us three that, Hey, this is important. It's important for you to participate in this. And this is the reason why. So I, I think you have to sell it yeah. essentially. And, and this is my opinion. I think the best way to sell it to people in these professions is by you participating in this study, it's going to help these people. And you're going to be in that group too, but that's not how you're going to sell it Yeah, because we're all doing this. It's not for a paycheck. It's not to be pounding our chest and they look at me, look at me, look what's on my back, look at my tattoo. It's we genuinely want to help people. And that's that's what we're doing. And it has to be the same mindset too of, you know, the same people on the you know, in these careers that say like, Oh, this younger generation and not even that they're soft, but like 
we got to train them. We got to keep this skill. You know, in the fire service, it's. But you know, it's we we talk about training the next generation up in the fire service. It's you know the art of firefighting. We have, you know, it, it sometimes can get lost as fire departments face budget cuts nationally, and you know housing construction becomes different. We look at how most fire departments look at how they you know, address things. What's the most cost-effective way to preserve life and property? We're seeing more or less and less, you know, in aggressive interior attacks. And that's something, you know, the older guys want to continue to train upon because it's an art that has to be maintained because when it needs to be done, it has to be done proficiently or lives, not only the lives of the people you're supposed to protect, but your lives of yourself and your crew are in danger. Right. And that's the same with our mental health. Like we have to be able to, to set the standard and set this, you know, the, not the way things were done, but this idea that, that it can be trained and passed down. So, you know, like when we talked about effective leadership, like that's where it starts. Like, hey, this is just kind of how it's done. This is how, you know, when you're struggling with this, this is how we look at things. This is how we do things. And that mindset has to be continue to be passed down and growth has to come with it. You know, new and innovative ideas, every generation that's passed down. Hey, I love how my old crew did that. Here's how I want to do it. And then some with my crew. It's, it's the same way as it is on fire ground training as it is with mental health. I, th- I think our last guest made a good point with that, with genera- new generations coming in. And they have a different mindset than we do. The generation after us that's already in has a different mindset about things than we do. Right. And well, it's going to help change that culture. Because even I've even noticed... It's, this is a positive. I've noticed that some of the older guys have changed their tune. Yeah, the things they say, things they used to think, where you're not hearing that same rhetoric we heard for years. Let's suck it up. Yeah. Now, it's still out there, but I think I've noticed more and more guys not saying that. Yeah, it's still out there, and it's still getting passed down to members of the incoming generation. But it's like you said, Moran, it's – we have to continue to adapt and improve and grow. And the example that you gave as far as like interior fire attack is a, that's the perfect example because building construction is not the same as it was 15, 20, 30 years ago. Things burn hotter. They burn faster. Buildings collapse faster now than they did back then. So you have to adapt your tactics to that reality. And it's and the same, the with same our, thing with mental health. And our, you could almost, it's, I hate to say this stupid analogy, but it's the same with mental health. It, it, it's been burning hotter and faster. It's so many more aspects to it now. You know, 15 years ago, when you guys even came on, social media wasn't very big. You know, I was uh, still in my bedroom designing my MySpace layouts. <laughs> but just how... You know what? When we, when we came on... There was no MySpace yet. Yeah, there was. You know, but think there about... Was, it was brand new. What time? It, when, it was, what, 2004? Oh, when man. MySpace came out? Uh, no, that might have been in the Exanga days. I don't know what that is. I was is. very proficient in designing Exanga layouts. Yeah, but I know I MySpace know. was around... Because we came on in 2004. Probably 2002. Maybe I didn't have one until after I came on. I, I think, think I got mine like my sophomore year, so 2005. So it may have been... Yeah, I mean, I know it was right around that. Because if I had it, then Tom was still probably my only friend on it. Yeah, <laughs> man, I miss MySpace, but uh, I, I think it was better than Facebook, to be honest. But, but so many things are in our face now, right? Like I can, I sadly, I can get on my Facebook timeline and see all the all the sad. And it's probably my 
own fault for just immersing myself in the culture. But, you know, you get on, you see building collapse, injures one, firefighter suffering from PTSD, takes his own life. It's just, it's all in your face Yeah. from where, like, not that it happened. I'm sure the rates were significantly high back when you guys came on, but we weren't aware of it. And yeah. now we are. Well, the information across probably the whole world is it's right there at your fingertips now everywhere everything all the time and it's constantly updating constantly feeding you know that's why newspapers struggle now because print is dead basically everything is on the internet everything's on social media and it's a constant it's not you know a what do you want to call it a a 12 hour news cycle anymore or whatever it's 24 hours you remember back 365 days a year i mean we've all heard the stories way back in the day there was a morning edition and evening edition yeah. paper you know this is what happened overnight this is what happened during the day yeah and so on and so on yeah. i mean but, i can get on my phone or you guys can get on your phone right now and we can look up the top stories in 10 minutes there'll be 10 new top stories oh, i even i even got the little, the little iphone widget now it like pops up yeah <laughs> so you see oh yeah mm-hmm. it, I, I turned mine off it's, it's kind of cool <laughs> i don't like being depressed all day yeah that's yeah i mean because it seems like any, every every one of those top stories saturday sunday mornings one dead two dead three dead at overnight shootings there's stuff and you're just like good lord yeah, yeah that's but, all you see you're bombarded with with bad stuff all the time and there's a reason for that which well, we won't get into but well because it sells <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, just like last night i'm minding my own damn business Pull it up, and it's like, okay, you said football coaches leave. And I'm like, great. Like, why can't I have anything nice in life? You know? <laughs> like, it's just blow after blow well, with them. You, you've read that story, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody needs to be fired. <laughs> I haven't read the story yet. Oh, It's bad. It's just it as bad, just as, bad as, 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 as Louisiana, Louisiana yeah. boys. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, I just haven't had time to read it. Oh. Yeah. Not good. It's, yeah. But, yeah, so going back to our point, though, it's just – just like we have to adapt to building construction and, and synthetic materials burning hotter and faster, we have to adapt to how quickly mental health can just take a turn, develop, you know, just all. It, it's been yeah. interesting, you know, one well, of the. I want to yeah. interrupt you right there because it's kind of that, I'm, and I'm going to give you an analogy here, overnight success. You know, you see this musician all of a sudden pop out and he's got the number one song. It's like, where did this guy come from? Well, he's been slogging it out for the last 10 to 15 years in the bars, doing the circuit. And now, it's not like that anymore. Locally. It's Instagram and YouTube. Right. So, okay. <laughs> Still, those back stories in, are rare. Yeah. yeah. But back in my day, because, you know, I'm a grandpa, I'm old, you know, that's how it was. I thought because he was senile. It, Papa Jerry. This overnight success thing took 20 years to make right mental health is the same way and we've talked about it before it's a cumulative effect so while it might seem all of a sudden that you ran that bad call or this or what and all of a sudden everything just crashed it hasn't been all of a sudden there's been signs there's been warnings along the way that okay you need to do something it's getting worse and we typically ignore those signs and symptoms until we get to the point where, you know, we've got a gun in our hand or, you know, we're drinking to the point where we're passing out and somebody says, hey, dude, what the hell? 
You know, I'd, I'd be curious, Jeremy. I, I think a majority of the time the word ignore would be appropriate. But I really do wonder, too, sometimes if it's just lack of recognition. I think that's a lot to do with it. Is And that's something that, you know, we talked about whenever my wife was here. It, that's why the R in restore is recognize. And it's the very first thing. Because you have to recognize those signs and, signs and symptoms. And that's why, excuse me, education needs to be such a big part of the training of the newer generation and even the older generation is everybody needs to be made aware of what those signs and symptoms are and how you can combat that stuff. The, the other R word that goes along, I think that maybe sometimes the um, opposite, you know, of recognition or the other bad word would be resiliency. And one mm-hmm. of the confusing things is that like growing up, you know, I didn't have hard ass parents or anything. I, I had firm parents. It, my upbringing was fine. But that you were just taught, like, what's worth crying over, what's not. What's worth being sad over, what's not. You know, like, mm-hmm. I was always told, you know, if I did something bad, you don't get to be sad about your concept. You know, you could be upset, but you don't get to be sad. They were your choices. Yeah. And there's just always been that fine line of, like, the internal struggle of resiliency, like, is this something I need to address? Am I feeling sad because of my own choices? Things like that. And, you know, with, with your history as well that, you know, we've had, we've talked about before, that's a struggle I couldn't even imagine. Like it needs addressed. You need to recognize it, but there is that almost that internal, or I'd be interested to hear your side of it, of that internal battle of resiliency. Like, but these are my choices that are leading to this. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to shed some light on that, that's what I'd be interested to hear is that struggle between recognition and resiliency and when it's appropriate and not. So, and, and I get where you're going with that. The, the thing with us, and I can't speak to the wider culture, but kind of our culture is what, what I've seen is we delude ourselves or lie to ourselves, especially whenever we're in the midst of all that stuff. Um, we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're fine, that we're handling everything, that this was an outlier or that was, you know, whatever. Like, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that problem. Or you can have, like in my own personal case, which I think we could probably dedicate a whole podcast to my special brand of stupidity. Um, it was almost like being two different people. I did this and I did that and they didn't match up, you know, and I was able to live that way for a while and I was in constant battle with myself. Um, the thing about recognition and resiliency is, and maybe I misunderstood where you were going with that. They're not, they're not the same thing. They're two separate. That, that is the problem. Yeah. They're, they're polar opposite. Yeah. Things they're two separate things. And resiliency basically is your ability to work through things. So you need the recognition part to recognize that there's an issue or what's going on. And then you need the resiliency along with that to work through that process. My, some of the things I've struggled with is when resiliency begins to mirror ignorance. Like you just don't think it's that big of a deal. You just don't think it's worthy of this because 
look at what this person had to go through. Look, you know, you get in the battle of comparisons, and that's when I think it becomes a dirty word. Right, and that's it's, not really that's not really resiliency. That's, well, it, I guess, maybe it is just just ignorance. Yeah, just simply not knowing any better. Yeah, you, you know, you've you've thought. I use resiliency because I look at it as like. I can overcome this. I can solve this problem. Sometimes you just can't. No. Sometimes you need some help to get through whatever you're going through. So, and, and there's no shame in that. Obviously, that's what we've talked about multiple times. I think you got to learn how to. You got to learn how to be resilient too. Oh, absolutely. It's not I, just. It's not something you're. You're born with a, a little bit, but when you're talking, and it's not really extreme, but these are kind of extremes, because most people don't deal with what first responders do you don't have that skill yet. Just like advancing a hose line the proper way or cutting a hole in a roof or tearing out drywall, whatever you want to compare it to, or even on the medic side, it's a skill that has to be developed and you got to learn. And we're not taught that from the start. So now you're learning it five, 10, 15 years down the road and you're way behind where you should be. Dangerously behind. Yeah. Just like you wouldn't want somebody to, you know, you don't want to send somebody with 15 years on the job up to a roof to cut a hole that never has before. You, you know, on one hand, you think, well, he's got 15 years. He should be able to do that. That's, that's not necessarily the same. Yeah. And just because you've been in this field 10, 15 years, you think, oh, he's, he's seen a lot. You know, he should be able to handle this. And, eh, no, that's not the same. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not necessarily the case, you know. And we'll just go ahead and throw it out there. I mean, I've been on the job for almost 17 years be 17 years in a few months i've spent my whole career on a pumper so do i know how to advance a hose line yes do i know how to get to the seat of the fire yes never worked on a truck though other than the occasional detail now i've been lucky enough to work with some guys to have a captain who was on a truck for a long time so i learned a lot and i've been able to do some of that stuff because of the section of the city we work in we don't have those resources that other places have immediately. Sometimes we're by ourselves for a little while and sometimes that ceiling needs to get opened up. So you have to do that. As far as cutting a hole in the roof, I'm not an expert. I know the, the principle of it. I have get, I ever I get, done it at an actual fire? No. Yeah. I mean, I'll put a hole in. Is it going to be in the right place? Eh, I don't know. <laughs> Guess I'll put the, Don't make it a training yeah. video, but it'll get done. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm not proficient. As far as truck work goes, but I get it done. Yeah. I mean, and for me, you know, I've worked in construction, you know, as side jobs and things like that, like we all do. So I know basic building construction, so I know how to take things apart, which helps, I think. But it's it's different doing it day in and day out or on a more consistent basis than what I've done. But to bring that back, it's the same thing with mental health. It, the, you know, kind of how you were going. It's something that you have to stay on top of. And it's not like we're even saying you have to go to counseling daily, weekly, anything like that. No. But I think there should be a consistent effort at minimum for self-thought. Yeah. Self-reevaluation. So, yeah, self-care is probably the best thing that you can do as far as to ward off those symptoms and going down the wrong path and all that stuff is, you know, being able to recognize it. That's the first thing. 
and then being able to take care of it yourself. Now, with that comes the ability to realize whenever you're to a point where you need some help that you can't just take care of it on your own. So there's two sides of that coin, but you can stave off a lot and you can be a lot healthier overall if you take care of yourself. Now, whether that means, you know, having good coping skills or, you know, whatever, then that is what it is. But being mentally fit is just as important as being physically fit to have a long, you know, successful, happy career. Because I think all of us want to get through our career, do as much as we can, help as many people as we can, all of that stuff. And then at the end, whether that be 25 years, 27 and a half, 32 years, whatever time you decide to leave the fire service, you want to be able to walk out the door with your head held high and your body intact and your mind intact. You don't want to be one of those guys who retires five years later, you're dead or you're a raging alcoholic or, you know, whatever other problems that we could sit here and talk about. Nobody wants that. You want to be able to enjoy the time after enjoy your retirement. Uh, another good thing I've seen, um, you know, we talked about like the center for excellence, but I've seen in at the municipal levels, our, our, our unions, our FOPs doing really well with fighting for awareness, like with the city, for example, in our area, our locals did a fantastic job of really getting now normal to, a lot of the time, like EAPs are run through the cities insurance provider mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily you're fighting with the municipality but you're having the discussions and going to table with that local insurance provider um i've really saying hey like these guys are not city accountants these guys are not maintenance workers the, here's what these people are dealing with they cannot be lumped in and only get the same limited resources for assistance that those people get like they are different completely different careers, completely different mindsets. And so I've seen a change in municipalities, you know, in doing research, I've seen a change in the separation of the two. Like, yes, we can still have employee assistance programs, but if we're going to really start re allocating resources, here's where it needs to be most. And then I've also seen, like, with our locals, done a fantastic job of picking up even the slack to the point that we have, you know, a licensed clinician in our union hall now that's available for resources. And we've seen, like, our local does um, AA meetings, you know, for the members, like th those things are huge. You know, it's not out of the person's pocket. It's not, you know, getting them in trouble with the city or having a limited number of resources that you can only access from the city. These are unlimited resources, you know, prov provided to us. And that, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, the members of our local have done an amazing job of getting that stuff done. So, and we're seeing it on the national level too. Yeah. On the, on the flip side of that is the membership has to know about those resources. Yeah. And I think we can do a better job nationally and locally of making those resources aware. Like the thing you just brought up, AA meetings at the union hall had no clue. Why didn't I know that? Because even though we do such great reactive or great proactive things, we're still reactive. Yeah. And a lot well, of times it's, is it you really know, AA though? Because it's not anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I walked in there, I would know everybody. <laughs> oh, hey there, bud. Good to see you. I was wondering why you hadn't been at the bar lately. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, it's, 
you know, and a lot of times it's just, and the thing is a lot, a lot of places are still overwhelmed. It, it is a personnel and a manpower issue sometimes. And oh, it it's, absolutely it's, is. it's hard to really go out and I hate to say recruit for AA, but like, it's hard to go out sometimes and make it known when you're so busy playing catch up and being like, Oh, you have this disciplinary issue now, or you, we, a friend reached out about you. You know, you're so there's yeah. so much invested in just, just trying that, to keep though. up. It's hard to be proactive sometimes. Yeah, and that's nationwide and so many things. It's not yeah. them not just want, not wanting to focus on that, but as a union, when you're in the when you're part of the lo- local and the administration level, like our president, vice president, agents, whatever, they don't have just mental health to worry about. Right. They have a hundred different things they're dealing with on a daily basis, and they. I hate to say it to prioritize what you do. Yeah. I mean, how, how critical is it? Is it, is it? Well, it's like what James brought up. It's resources. It is. And we can't afford as a membership to keep paying for X amount of agents for so long because that takes all the money out of the local that we need for other things. Yeah. No. And I get it. I mean, but we have one clinician for how many men and women? So I know that, (laughs) Well, but here's the thing with that. So, yes, there's one clinician down at the Union Hall, but there's a network, and what they're trying to establish is to have a whole network. And yeah. But, again, and like you were saying. They're doing fairly well. I mean, yeah. they're, they're trying. They're, that's a positive change that we're all looking They're making the effort, and, but like you said, you know, we're playing catch-up. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's the thing, and we're going to continue to play catch-up for probably quite a while. Now we can sit here and say, "Man, we need to move this ball. Like it needs to, we need to get it down the field now." Because in reality, that's just not how things work. It's very similar when the fire service nationally really started, for example, EMT, right? When they finally said, "Hey, we want firefighters to have their EMT." They knew that they can't just teach every firefighter in the world the EMT at the same time. But you know, it's it's a process. They say, "Hey, now in the academies, or we're going to make it a requirement to come on, you have to have your EMT. Is it going to be solved overnight? Nope. Five years? Nope. But in 10 or 15 years, maybe 20 years, and, you know, just like our job is now, everybody's an EMT. Yeah. It, it was a process. It's it's not done overnight, and it's and it's hard, and people fall through the gaps, and there's mistakes, and there's lessons to be learned from it. But I, there's mental health is fascinating because there's things that can be done overnight, but a lot of it is a process. And then just when you think you get it figured out, you're like, oh, wait, well, look at this new thing we have to address. It's, it's just so back. It's not back and forth. It's just ever evolving. And it's it's hard. But at the minimum, we've got to kind of get everybody up to speed, you know, yeah. like you said earlier, to at least start working on self-care and self-recognition. And then we can really start focusing on how evolving it is and adapt from there. Yeah. Well, and like you said, it is, it's definitely a process. And I think, you know, for – people like myself um, and you guys, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but you know, it's, it's hard to sit here and to know what I went through and think about somebody else going through it whenever I could potentially do something to prevent it. You know, if I can go out and speak with somebody or get somebody to, you know, be where they need to be for some help or teach them those coping skills that I learned before they have to get to the point that I was at. 
So it's hard for me to sit here and go, yes, I know it's a process. Intellectually, I can sit here and go through that, but it hurts me, you know, because I don't want to see that. You know who I'd love to have on the show? Dr. Phil. No, like a World War II. That dog won't hunt. A World War II, like general, right before D-Day or post-D, like interview him after D-Day. And it's, it should not be this way. I'm going to preface it with that. Mm-hmm. But Ray, weighing risk and reward, right? If a general had it his way, they would have invaded Normandy and not lost a single life. Yeah. But they have to sit here and say, here's expected casualties. Here's expected injuries. Here's the overall goal. And the death or injury of every single soldier, for example, that stormed the beach at Normandy is on that general. And if mm-hmm. he's worth a shit, which they all were, yeah, they, they, they have to eat that and they wear it, but they see the overall goal. And sometimes it feels like when we look at the long-term goal with mental health, like we are going to lose people. Leaders are going to we- bear that weight on their shoulders. We as their peers are going to bear that weight on our shoulders. But it's one of those things we have to look at the greater good and we have to stay focused and diligent in this process to make these improvements. It's going to suck along the way, but there's got to be diligence with it. And we'll achieve that overall goal. But that's what I'd be interested to hear is just talk to them and just, how do you weigh that? You know, yeah. like, and I, and I thought about that point when you brought up, like, they have to prioritize, you know, and it, it could be at a local a level, reality. city level. It, now, yeah. I don't think you have to talk to a D-Day general. You could talk to a general, a retired general from any point that's had combat. Experience. We could even bring Bart back on and have him talk about that if he could make it through that conversation. He was a team leader. Yeah. So, I mean, knowing that, man, I might lose a guy or two on this mission, every mission, you know, to think about when we go on a fire call, what's the potential? Well, yeah, I mean, you have to. It's always there. You have to weigh that cost analysis, the risk analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we are, and I was talking about this with Rachel the other day, um, cause we had a fire the other night and, you know, went in and I was explaining to her how we are one of the last kind of really aggressive interior fire departments in the country. Mm. You know, I used to think that too. And then because of social media, my outlook's changed on that. There's a lot of departments that are still aggressive like we yeah. are. Now, if you if you said in the area, yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. Yeah. So, but you know, you weigh that that risk of especially if you're in the you know in the captain's seat that day, and you've got brand new guy behind you who doesn't know anything, or you've got a 17 year veteran sitting behind you that you're confident in their skills. You know, you weigh that risk of, okay, does this look kind of sketchy? Should we really be going in here? And that's a, a thought process that you have to make. And you don't have time to make it. You have to make snap decisions on the fire ground. And, you know, we can sit here in Monday morning quarterback everything about mental health and you know, the fire service in general. Just read a NIOSH report. They'll tell you everything mm-hmm. you did wrong. Exactly. <laughs> That's every single fire, too, if you so, actually start looking into them. Yeah. So, but, I mean, my, my point is that there are decisions that we have to make 
in the moment that we have to live with. And, but there are also decisions that take more time, you know, like with mental health and setting up programs and all that, there has to be a certain amount of research and that goes back to, it's a process. We're so going to take those losses. And when you, when you talk about research, one thing I've learned and I, and I knew it, but I just confirmed it with this class. It takes time. It takes money. It takes failure. It takes failure, and it's it's the data's got to be the right data because it's very easy to cherry pick it. Oh, absolutely! So I mean, confirmation it, bias it, is integrity is huge. Yeah, when it comes to it, and then you, you need partners, you need departments to buy in, whether it's police, fire, EMS, and you need participants. You're not getting that. Money's tight everywhere. Nobody wants to fund more research that's for and this. Money and time. How many departments are understaffed? I'd say all of them. Because I mean, even small departments, they could be fully staffed. I saw a takes picture one on injury. Facebook the other day that was like, yeah, sex is great and all, but have you ever heard the words, we're fully staffed today? <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> but, so, but that's also the point of can you pull people out of service to do the research whenever you're already understaffed? Cause let's just, and we've talked about it probably ad nauseum, but call volumes in the police service, the fire service, it's patient volumes in hospitals, patient mm-hmm. volumes in hospitals are all just calls for service so, in general. Yeah. Are so far beyond so what have, they were 15, thought about 20 that. years ago. So part of the paper I had to write, was also <clears throat> coming up with an idea of how to collect your data. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'm sure people have done it. I'm sure it's being done out there. I don't know. I didn't go that deep into the rabbit hole. But he's got a phone on his lap. It's connected to his face 99% of the day. And that's not a slide or anything. It's just that's the way we are today. Our phones are always there. Hell, mm-hmm. even our house fire is coming on our phones now. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> your email's on it. You can text on it. You can download any app that's out there. So for your research to help collect your data, I don't have to see you every day. I don't have to talk to you every day. I'm not doing stuff by the mail. It's an app. Put in your information. Make a little survey, post a link, here you go, guys. And the survey is not just a, a you know, one scale of one to ten crap because it doesn't it gives you some data, but you need to go deeper. So now you're getting all right, fill this out. How was your sleep last night? What happened while you were sleeping? Did you sleep all night? How many times did you wake up? How long were you awake? What kind of calls did you run yesterday? But now you're also watching, you have the departments involved who can email you or <clears throat> you have a way to connect with them. Hey, we had a major incident. These are the people that were there. You know, and now because you've got the department working with you, you've got the members, so you're getting that information you need. Like, oh, I've got seven people that were at this event that are in my study. I better reach out. But they're also able to, to feed you information every shift, every day that comes in. That's a, it's, it's, a, it's, just, it's data mining, essentially. But you're getting that feedback right. that you need to conduct your study to see what the issues are, what the big ones are, and then you're treating them at the same time. So you have to get counselors on board and therapists 
that are in their areas that are willing to help. Well, and you have to get somebody to, to compile the data. Yeah. That's, and that's everybody working on it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to take a large team. You know, it's interesting. As you mentioned, like, just one of the things just to be about calls. And because I had one of these yesterday. Um, if you look at a, a child death, right? That, uh, that's something. That Sorry, it's going off like crazy. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> Group text message about my brother's dog. And it's killing me. So, so like, I looked for a shock, shock over here. <laughs> Every 10 seconds. Um, a child death, right? Pediatric death. That could be debilitating, debilitating for a family. You know, we've seen divorces happen as a mm-hmm. result of it. It's middle of March now, and I've ran two already this year. How many of you guys run into your career? You know, probably even lost count already. Yeah. Yeah, it's not something I keep track of. Yeah. It's, that's the thing, though. It's not something we keep track of. But subconsciously we do because it just oh, builds absolutely. and it builds and it builds. So, so as far as the study goes, that would be one of the things you would look at. Like, hey, you're documenting your calls. Yeah. You know, your regular run-of-the-mill EMS call is probably not going to – Affect you too bad, but when you run twenty a day, so and that would be how many calls did you run? What were they? Was there anything specific or special that stood out? And I want to pediatric death is a big one. Yeah, and not to not to get off the pediatric death, we're we're going to come back to that. But the the call volume thing and the calls that we run that we don't consider. Are actually your two a.m. toe pain? Okay, we'll use that as an example. You run twenty calls of that a day. That leads to a frustration, I think, because you feel like you're wasting your time. Well, yeah, you're wasting your. You feel like you're wasting your time. You feel like you're wasting your skills. Yeah, I, I'd be lying if I and said. And I think that, that affects guys tremendously it does and they don't want to talk about it or admit it because oh it's just you know a bull but it's crap also kind call. of a, when you run 20 30 calls in a shift yeah that you almost get in the mindset of this is a break call as in i don't have to do anything yeah i don't have to think <laughs> all right man and you're like all right let's go right but there's a there's the, a catch to that i think i'll, I'll tell you like from annoyance a, from a medic perspective there's there's a flip there's a, but like one thing i hate right is like, oh, you run this person for toe pain at 2 in the morning. And they're like, I want to go to the farthest damn hospital away. On one, you're like, no. On the other hand, you're like, I'm three reports down. I could get caught up on that drive. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or, but see, that, know, that's where the break comes in. And yeah. I, don't mean, I don't mean it the way it sounds. No, yeah. you're, not, you're not caring, but you know that you're not going to start an IV. You're not going to get medications. You're going to get your vitals. You're probably not going to put them on the heart monitor. And they're probably going to fall asleep on the way there. And they're probably going to fall asleep. <laughs> or they're going to talk your ear off and you might hear a good story. Yeah. yeah. But now, on the flip side, that's also where we get complacent. And that toe pain could be something serious. Could it be an, uh, an infection that's just setting in? Could it be worse than that? We're not going to take a look because we don't want to look at feet or take or, off shoes or and socks. Or female because females present with heart attacks so many different way. ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it a blood clot that's about to break loose? Yeah, I mean, when it comes, I know those are extremes. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but in medicine, you just never know. Yeah. That's why it's practicing medicine. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen it. <laughs> you know, you just you don't put them on the forelead. You just put them on the little finger probe. 
Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, damn it, the finger probe fell off again. No, it's... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yeah, but, I, I haven't you know, done that. <laughs> the, the, point that. The point that I was making, though, is you, you run all of those calls that really aren't emergencies. And it starts to wear on you of, man, again. It's like, you know, and, and especially if you're on a call like that and you hear a cardiac arrest or a fire or something, a car wreck, that is a, like a true emergency in your first in, but you're over here doing whatever you're getting a cat out of a tree. So you I know? Keep, I've done it. I've, I keep my radio on the primary dispatch. And if I'm standing there on BS and I hear something, I'll just turn it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, one thing, Jeremy, and something I've kind of noticed with myself, um, it's not like I get tired of the 2 a.m. toe pains. I found myself in a place where, like, I actually get a sick patient or just a nice patient. I'm like, honey, whatever you need, mm-hmm. I am here for you because you are the nicest <laughs> damn person I've seen all day. I hope I just never get to the f- point, or, or, and I've seen other medics to the point, where even they, those people, are treated like the 2 a.m. toe pains. Yeah. And it's you not know, hard to get there. Yeah. It, but that's a, that's burnout, a huge, man. yeah, that's a classic indicator of burnout where you're there. just sour all I did the time. It. I was there. I mean, I, you saw it. I know you saw it. I didn't see it. Yeah, you're an asshole. Yeah, I was. I, I, I won't deny it. And it took being called out and taking an ass chewing and that's what and it too, like, and, and looking back on it to Monday, truly to Monday morning quarterback that like, you know, for our listeners, first time I ever met Nelson, one of the reasons I thought he was an asshole, um, you know, I showed up to a station. It was a busy station. I was ready to learn. You know, the station got lots of fire. I barely had any time on the job. And he showed up. He's like, hey, nothing personal, but you're on the ambulance all day. I'm like, um, okay. This sucks, but whatever. And kind of going back, Chris, to we were talking earlier about passing this mindset on to generations you were getting to a dangerous point to where like mm-hmm. not only did we not want to like it was not fun for the younger people because of how you were behaving it sometimes absolutely and obviously that's not the same now i just yeah. hate you because i don't like you for other reasons well, but that's fine <laughs> <laughs> whatever but no like that, I that's got one, one of those things that's that's something <laughs> your dog still likes it i guess yeah i don't know anymore <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we you know it's even with four and a half coming up on five years on yeah, there are still new medics under me. You know, we get floating medics to our station and whatnot. We all have to a behave ourselves, but conduct ourselves accordingly as to not contribute negative connotations mm-hmm. and negative mindsets that can lead to poor mental health to those beneath us. But me, but me doing that then was to keep me off the ambulance. It, it was selfish. I, I, I won't deny it. Completely selfish. I don't want to be on the ambulance. It's tired of running on it. But what it does to the younger generation, you got, I'm going to burn him out now? How is that right? And that and that problem got fixed. Don't get me wrong. That's something I changed too. It's like, no, I'm not going to do this. Because now you're not going to come back and work with me. So that was my bad. I won't deny it. Well, and I think that's something that, you know, maybe we've all been through a little bit of we get to that point where it's just every day 
It's like, yeah. I'm not doing it today. I'm just not. <laughs> I, I've, I've hit my level of bullshit and whatever. Somebody else is going to deal with it. Yeah. Let me tell you, though, we had two floaters the other day. And a patient called, and basically we needed to apply cream to her butt for her bed sores. I made sure both of those little shits knew that they were the two youngest people in the room. <laughs> I made that very known very quickly. So I just shook my head and turned around and walked out. There's a, there, there's a thing about paying your dues. And there are certain things on the job like, hey, you're the sub. You're going to do... You know, well, what, if just, you, somebody's got to crawl into that crawl space. Guess who it's going to be? It was just one of those it's not like going to be the twenty-year guy. We've all had him on our cruise where it's a hodgepodge day where the captain has more time combined than the entire rest of the crew. Yeah, and that's what it was. Yeah. And I've been, I've been that guy right now. Yeah, yeah. And I was I, like, I looked back. I was like, oh god. Yeah. Like, me with my four and a half <laughs> years was the second, the captain firefighter than me, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, I never thought, I never saw the day coming that I'd be the old guy on the rig. It's happened more than once. Yeah. And it's scary. I, I know last time I got detailed to ride out as captain, I looked around. They had, there was five years total between three firefighters. I was like, oh. I think of that movie National Security with Martin Lawrence where they're like going through the little security officer boot camp. And it's like that last part at the end. And he's like, and in your duty belt. And he pops it up and he's like, quarters to call the real police and that's why i feel like some days i'm like man if this day goes to hell we're gonna have to call some real firefighters yeah. here <laughs> this could be very bad you ever see the video of the guy on the motorcycle wreck and he just kind of hit some gravel and went down i think it was on a motorcycle Mm-mm. and his buddy stops and a couple other people and somebody goes we gotta call 911 and the guy on the ground's like i am 911 <laughs> 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 it goes along with what he's saying because i'm Cause I've had that thought, like, man. And it's not that I don't trust the guy. It's I don't know them. I don't know what they're capable of. I don't know what they know. They don't know what I know. You know, and it's like, man, we have to call the fire. Oh, we are the fire department. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh. <laughs> well, but that comes back to the responsibility of senior guys training the younger guys. Because we were all that way once. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that there were times whenever – we got on the rig and our captains and drivers looked back at us and went, shit, I hope nothing happens today (laughs) because these two are retarded. Can't say that. Oh, I'm sorry. They're idiots. There you go. It's not so much other idiots. We just, we just don't know. Yeah. We were ignorant. Yeah. Because we're brand new. We're learning. Yeah. You know, and I think that's on the leader. Like, you know, but we had good captains and drivers. Hell, Hell, Jeremy, even when I work with you some days, and you're riding out. I still ask him, like, hey, what, remind me what you want today. And, you know, for those that are listening in the fire service, if, if you work with, like, a new captain, for example, you go to that captain and you say, hey, what do you want today? The two big things, three big things really are, like, on fires, we want you to do this. On wrecks, we want you to do this. And on medical calls, we want you to do this. And I really think there needs to be a fourth thing. And it's, if anything starts to bother you, you got any issues, just come holler at me real quick. My door's always open. Boom. Simple as that. An extra five seconds in your narrative for the day. And it's just one more door that's open, metaphorically and physically, Unless just to address issues of the day. There's like a three-hour period where I'm studying. Don't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's – if you need anything except the hours between 1 and 4 in the afternoon, please give me, yes. <laughs> let me know. I, that's my I study like time. That, Don't mess with my study I, time. I, I really like that, James. No, I think it's a good uh, idea. And that, I mean, that that's something for both idea. of you guys. You know, yeah. What, yeah. you know, you guys go on just as simple as, hey, 
I want this crosslay with the smooth bore. You get the <laughs> monitor. You grab the extrication tool or the Halligan. And if anything else, if you got an issue or something's bothering you today, come holler at me. Boom, done. Put your uniform on. Shave. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Shaving's going too far. Hey, man. You're messing with my heritage. Everybody's got their thing. But you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it's just again, a little thing just to add to a routine. And like I said, we post shit up on the bulletin boards all the time. All this, it's, we're almost inundated now to the point where we're like, God, get it out of our heads. But we know it's just repetition, repetition, repetition. You advance the hose line, you advance the hose line, you advance the hose line. And drills all of a sudden when it's pitch black, the, the routine basics are still there. Yeah. And it's the same like you put it on the bulletin board, you put it on the bulletin board, you put it on the bulletin board. Well, I'm not doing too good. Ah, shit, that damn thing on the bulletin board. You know, I, I have noticed some newer captains having morning meetings. Yeah. You know what I'm talking, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they kind of get made fun of about it a little bit. People poke fun. And yeah. I, I never say anything, but thought to myself, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. But the more I think about it, the more well, it sounds like a, a good idea. What's the most effective tool in the fire service? The Halloween bar? Communication. You're well, yeah. Okay, I'll go with that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it alleviates so it, many issues. You know why that's funny? It's because it's coming from Mr. Non Texting yeah. Back Guy. Says <laughs> it's group chats. I take my watch off and I throw it on the floor. <laughs> I'm gonna text them back here in a little bit, yeah. but, but you went days, days. It's and we still haven't got a text back in that group. It's the problem, like, if all your friends take off jogging and you're an hour behind them, you just don't go jogging because you're not going to catch up to them. That's how I feel with the group checks. It's like, you have 90 unread messages. I'm like, eh, they're going to stay unread. Guess I'm not getting like three. It's hard. I, I get it. And actually, it was probably like 10, but seven of those, we were just making fun of each other. Yeah. I, yeah. I literally scrolled through, like, that's my name. What did it say? Oh, fuck them. All right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. He's out of the group chat. Yeah. <laughs> But, no, uh, but like, communication, it, it's simple. Like, we got our department put us through how to properly communicate on the radio, you know? Like, just, and it's the same. Well, and I think that's the big caveat is proper communication, not just communication. Because there are things you can say you let, that, you know, hey, if something's bothering you, you know, come see me. There's ways that you can say that and get your point across and for it to be real to that person and they feel comfortable doing that. And there's also ways that you can say it that they're going to be like, okay, he said that, but I ain't going to talk to that guy. You know, here's what's interesting though, is if I actually had a captain say it to me, just the fact he said it, I think would be enough communication. I don't care how he said it. It's the fact that he said it. Well, but that's you and your perception. Yeah, fair enough. So, you know, you know, you got, you got to remember when you're brand new, <clears throat> think, I mean, you, you were new, uh, whatever. Yeah. But before, you know, you're still recently new. Yeah. So when you go into those stations and you're meeting these these people, you're a little intimidated. Yeah, and how many times have you been set up for a practical joke? The amount of times. <laughs> so I'm Actually, going. I take it back. I only have them twice. And they were both on Sunday. You know, like, hey, there's a phone call for you on the circuit. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And now yeah. you got to watch the 30-year 30, 30 guy doing dishes. Yeah. yeah. 
or squeegeeing the floor yep. or washing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, there is, whenever you're new, that's something that's in the back of your mind is like, is this real or is this a setup? Yeah, you know, are they testing it, me right now. Yeah. Are they testing me? What, what's going on? So, yeah, I mean, that's so that's, do, that's bad. It is. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the pra- look, if you're doing dishes, we, we don't answer the phone. Yeah. We love practical jokes on the fire department. It's something that we do, you know, it kind of breaks the tension, kind of brings everybody together when it's done correctly. You, you got some guys who are just not good at practical jokes and they take it too far, whatever <laughs> that stuff happens. But we've got one going on at my station right now. It's just been like a two week running joke and it's great, (laughs) but they can, you know, it's, it brings everybody together. makes you feel like you're part of the guys, you know, how many times have you heard it's it's when they stop busting your balls is when you should be concerned. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, that is what it is, but that's why I say proper communication or, you know, making it clear. So, that's just my point of view. Yeah. That means and, right. you know, because everybody perceives things differently. Just like, you know, trauma is trauma, but everybody's reaction to it is different. And what's traumatic to you may not be traumatic to me. So, and that brings us back to the, the pediatric thing that you guys were talking about. Yeah. It, that's, that's definitely one of those calls where, excuse me, I came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of those calls, though, that I think you need to have that sit down. Yeah. Immediately. I, I firmly agree. After, after the pediatric call, if you're on the ambulance, whether you're the medic or the EMT, you know you're taken two from the fire truck. Even if you're a department that runs three, you're taken two. I don't care what your policies say because you need the hands. And it's extremely stressful. And you're going to have to restock everything and clean everything up. And you might as well go out of service for 10 to 15 minutes to de-stress and sit down and have that conversation and not just, Hey, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. And go on. No, it's, we're going to talk about this for a second. It doesn't, it doesn't make you look weak. It, it's, it's not a knock to you and your, your manhood or your womanhood or anything like that. It's to make sure you can deal with it. Cause most of us are parents. A lot of us are on the, on the, on, the, on these jobs. We could, I couldn't imagine losing, a child at that age or at any age. You know, I, I feel bad for like PD, for example, that like sometimes on those calls gets there before us. And not, 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 I don't mean don't know what to do because they're stupid, but just like. They're not trained. They're not trained. It's to be the same as sh- putting me in a SWAT operation. I'll be like, this gun's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it, Dude, I remember. And a, I, just the mental health of them wishing they could do more. Not like. Yeah. I remember a particular call, and this has been probably 13, 14 years ago. We got a call for unresponsive pediatric and we showed up and of course, you know, the family's going crazy. It ended up being like a SIDS thing. And, but the cop that responded to the call with us beat us there and he's in there and you know, he comes running out with the baby and he's doing CPR and he did a a fantastic job because you know, infant CPR is different than, I'm talking to two medics here. Of course mm-hmm. you guys know. But for everybody watching, yeah. if you didn't know, infant CPR, CPR? is a, a little bit different than... Is that the stuff you make your EMT do? Yeah. yeah. 
I don't that, do that. That's for precious. <laughs> hey, deeper. Not deep enough. Faster. Slow down. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. So, but he was he was doing a great job. He was doing it correctly. Brought the the baby out to us. We took over. Got it in the ambulance. You know, and off they went. But the whole scene was so chaotic. I mean, the the family was, of course, going crazy, yelling at everybody. So it was it was a bad scene. And the look on this guy's face, and he was, you could tell he'd been on for quite a while, and I don't know if he'd run calls like that before or whatever, but just the look on his face, you could tell it affected him. And I think that's like what you said. Those calls, I think, by and large, I don't know anybody, nobody that I know on the job is unaffected by those calls. No, I, don't know. I wouldn't make a comparison to yeah. kids and no kids. Which I, I, remember, but, I remember I had one that came in as a, just a pediatric sick. So in our department six, just kind of like, we don't know what the hell it is, so just throw it in this category type dispatch. Yeah, We get there, and I, I think it was like the aunt or somebody was was a six-month-old. She reached the door, and she's like, he's gone. And I'm like, oh, he Oh, you left already? She's like, yeah, he's gone. And I'm like, why is there a baby laying on the bed not moving? And she's like, oh, yeah, he's in there. I'm like, this kid's fucking dead. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, and I literally, I, I turned around and looked at her. I'm like, what the F? Like, I, it was, it was just like this rush, A, being caught off guard. Mm-hmm. B, what the hell are you doing, lady? And C, what the hell are you doing, lady? Like, just, and then, too, like, not only the initial shock of it, because you're not ready for it, because, you know, in critical calls, house fires, whatever it may be, the time to the call is your preparation, mental, getting your gear ready, whatever it may be. It is your, like, getting your mindset ready mm-hmm. to deal with it, whatever task. Right. I, but start, then, I start going over the possibilities in my head and what I'm going to get yeah, ready to do. But even still, sometimes we're still met with the unknown, which is our job to adapt and overcome. Right. But still, we're, we're human. There's just that emotion of just like shell shock. And then, you know, we get into our job. But it was just, it was one of those I was just so like, A, my game plan was already thrown off from the get-go. And now it's just trying to grab straws, trying to get back into center just to get things done. So, yeah. I mean, those calls, for me personally, and I don't have children, you know, I've got nephews and nieces. And a Jeep and dogs, yeah. Yeah. But those calls are still affect me more than any other call I've ever ran, you know? And, yeah, they suck. And you have to deal with them. And, you know, for a long time I didn't. Like that call that I just talked about. I didn't deal with that for a long time. Yeah, you just get back on the rig. And- yeah. It's like, man, that sucked. Huh, I'm fine. Uh-huh. The biggest thing I've known for me, and I, I don't know about other people, but for me it's ability to rationalize. If I can rationalize it, I'm okay. This happened because of this. Sometimes this is somebody's stupidity. Sometimes it's negligent. Sometimes it's just your heart was bad. So it's just whatever. But you can rationalize it. Yeah. It's the ones you can't rationalize. You just you want to pull your hair out over sometimes. Just like, <laughs> yeah, that that's the absolute truth. It's whenever there is no rationalization for it. But this is a lot. 
lighter <laughs> episode than I did most. It seems like, even though we talked about like some worse things more than most, it was like still, yeah, nice to just kind of touch on the things that actually are working. Yeah, for so much as we're like, the world's coming to an end. Yeah, well, no, it's Whereas not. It's, it's you know, it's kind of like, but not tomorrow. This guy's yeah. not falling. Yeah, yeah, but we're fifty years behind where we should be. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't even think that we're fifty years behind. The seventies was fifty years ago. What? Shut up. Just saying. Oh, you guys are seventies babies, aren't you? I was eighties. Eighties. Oh. <laughs> Almost seventies. <laughs> My wife was a seventies baby. <laughs> but no, it, we are behind. Yes, uh, you can't refute that or deny it. But I don't think that we're that far behind. What I think is, since I would say we're twenty years behind. The world has changed so dramatically since 2000, 2001. 9-11. 9-11, I mean, 9/11 was a big one, but we didn't have things in place that we should have then. Yeah. So when you start looking at studies and books that were written on mental health and just in the, in the general population, there was a big push in the 70s for it. And if we would have applied those to first responders then – at just that level, yeah, it built on on as we went. Well, where and, would it be right now? We and, we wouldn't, wouldn't be doing this. So, and I talked about, I think it was a first or second podcast. I mentioned a book, uh, "The Body Keeps Score" by Bessel van der Kolk. I mean, he was doing research in the late seventies, early eighties, on PTSD from, you know, World War II veterans, Korea veterans, Vietnam veterans. And it seems like, and this is the layman's term, so don't shoot me if I'm wrong, but a lot of what we're doing now is things that he was doing then. Like he kind of wrote the book on it, but it seems like it's been a slow uptake of people recognizing the value of his work. And that could be just a layperson's because I didn't know anything about it. I mean, it could be widely. I think acknowledged, in, the, in, the, but, in the circles of mental health professionals, it's probably widely known. But for us out here, yeah, because well, you, you don't know, you don't. I do wonder if like mental health professionals just laugh at us sometimes. Like, told you. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes and no. I think with the advent, and we'll go back to two thousand and one. I think being in basically a war for the last 20 years and having those military members come back with the PTSD, the depression, the addiction issues and all that, it's such a big part of our society now. And we see so many that the push has been there to help them. And by association, it's been recognized that, okay, well, police and fire they yeah, the go through the same stuff. Made. Yeah. And that seems to be like, you know, we talk about medicine. A lot of things that were learned in World War One and World War Two were then available medically of things that they, you know, figured out on the battlefield mm-hmm. were, you know, advancements that were made that were brought to the general, pu- general public. And it seems to be a carryover, you know, with the whole mental health aspect of, hey, man, we should really fix that problem. But it started with the military and then trickled down to the rest of the general population. Yeah, and, and things like that usually do. Cause it's, it's interesting talking to military guys. I, you stick a, you know, 
a military guy, a officer, a nurse, and a firefighter in the same room. The military guy, you know, will applaud the other three, and they'll tell you every time, "I just have to deal with a year. You guys got to deal with it for a career." Yeah, and it's yeah, my cousins told me that, and he was tank commander in the army. Yeah, it's it's fascinating just the wherewithal all those guys have. Yeah. Now, to me, it's all e- like it's it's equal across the board. They see stuff over there that it's. I hope to God we never have to see here. Yeah, but well, and it's perception, and your own personal perception. So I mean, you know, I. The program, the recovery program I went through was for military and first responders. So I was in there with, you know, special forces guys, Air Force guys, Marines, Navy, whatever, and a couple other firefighters. And by and large, it's that same thing, like what Chris Anderson talked about of, you know, oh, you went through this and then this person went through this and you sit there and look and go, oh, well, that's like way worse than my stuff. And that's the comparison thing again. The main difference, like, I think that I drew from it in, you know, talking to those guys was it's no different. Like, trauma is trauma, like I've said. And it affects everyone differently. Some people get through it. Some people need some help, whatever. The difference in the trauma between us and them is – we're seeing it with the public by and large. We're not seeing like, I'm not seeing you get hurt or killed. It does happen. Thankfully it's a lot rarer. Right. And that's what they were dealing with of seeing their buddies get hurt and all this and all that. On the flip side of that is we're going to run a call at this house. And then I'm going to drive by that house every day. And I'm going to think about, the pediatric code that we ran there or the guy who got his arm cut off or the car wreck where it killed a whole family or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're going to see that every day until you move out of the neighborhood or move out of the city. And it, I think that's the difference, but it's also the similarity. It's, uh, I was talking with a buddy of mine It was uh, in the army. And this was a couple of years ago, and I was talking about a bad call, and he's like, dude, that sounds terrible. And and he was like, I, I couldn't ever imagine going through anything like that, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, because his story is like, Humvee, 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 minding his own business, sitting in the Humvee, and the one that's before him hits mine, it explodes. Yeah. I'm like, I just, I couldn't even rationalize just, you know, if a couple of fire trucks are driving down the road and one all of a sudden just explodes. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, shit. Like that's that's a career thing, and that's just like a normal day for them. Yeah, not no, you know, not normal, but yeah, acceptable day, and that's yeah. not good to say, but it is. And I just, he's here, like, oh man, I don't know how you ran that fire with that body. I'm like, yeah, I don't know how you saw that. Like, yeah, well, and I think that's we go back to the risk and risk analysis of whenever you go into a certain job, like whenever people go into the military and specifically like they're going into the infantry or they're going into special forces or the seals or whatever, you kind of know what to expect with that job. Yeah. Just like whenever you go into the fire service, you kind of know what to expect and it's two different things. Now you know, but you don't know. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you go in the you military, know? you know, sand, hot terrace, you know, you go to the fire service, fires, wrecks, dead people. Yeah. You know, like it's, 
you don't know what you're going to see, but you get it. Yeah. You, know, you walk into a bathroom, a sporting event. I'm walking in urine. You just know. <laughs> but knowing what you're going to see and experience and then actually experiencing it are two different things. You could take that all the way back to sports. You know, you can sit there and you can watch that lineman or whatever you want to position you want to talk about execute a block. You can't just from sitting there watching it go out and reproduce and do that exact thing. Yeah, or you can sit and shoot free throws till you're blue in the face and make them and make them and make them and make them. All of a sudden it's tie game, one second left, and you're up on the free throw line. It's yeah. not the same. Yeah. Stress. Mr. J.J. Reddick. God, he's clutch. <laughs> That's a Duke boy. So, but stress is that contributing factor of doing things under that stress. And it makes things way harder. Have you seen the movie uh, Glory with Matthew Broderick, uh, Morgan Freeman and Denzel Washington? Yeah, but it's been a long time. So he was a a commander of the 54th Massachusetts, which was the first all-color regiment in the Civil War. Mm -hmm. There's a scene in the movie where they're practicing shooting. And some of the guys are great. I mean, a couple of the guys are really good, and they're hitting the bottles, you know, and they're all, like, hooting and hollering and having a good time about it. And so he just walks up and starts shooting his pistol off next to the guy's head. He's like, come on, reload. Hit your target. Let's go. You're so good. Hit your target. He couldn't He couldn't hit it. And that's, you know, it's kind of similar to us. Like, we can drill in the academy. We can talk about things at the kitchen table. And until that pistol's going off next to your head or until you're in that fire with the heat, it's just a different ball game. Yeah. Well, that's why you drill and drill and drill and drill and drill and drill so that it's not a conscious thought. It's a muscle memory thing that you know. And that's from a military perspective of, you know, how to reload and do this and do that. I think the fire service may be a little bit different. Well, something I was thinking about the other day. So our department's getting new air packs, right? Mm -hmm. So we drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled on those air packs. I can, you know, it's like a, you know, a Marine with his rifle, you know, it inside and out, you can operate on the dark, you know, everything about it. And the same with our air packs. We have to, and you know, rough situations, we know how to have to know how to plug into each other's packs to conserve air, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. And we were getting, we we're getting new air packs. And it was just that, like, I, I hesitated, you know, cause that's a new proficiency I have to learn. It's, it's kind of scary for a minute. Cause that's, that's our lifeline. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those like, dang, I'm going to have to learn this all over again. That's, that's, yeah. Worked. Well, and to think about it, think about it from our perspective. You've been using that air pack for four years. Gotcha. We've been using that air pack for 16. Yeah. Close to 17 years. That's a lot of habits to break. Now, thankfully, it's an air pack. It's not that complicated. It's not like, you know. <laughs> to us, it's not. Right. You put a stranger up. Yeah, but you put somebody else up there and. Hey, this is totally different. Not really. Principle's still the same. You know, you got a few more buttons. They're in different locations. It's just develop the proficiency. And which leads us back to mental health of, yes, the situations you may go through may be different. But the skills are going to be the same. Or maybe just need to be tweaked, you know, with the coping. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when I was in the academy, we didn't all have radios, right? So to uh, practice, like, or drilling, doing maydays and stuff, we used the the digital readout, the regulator on our air packs. You know, yeah. pretend to talk into those. And 
so I was drilling with a truck company one day when I first got out of the academy, and we were going over that. And it was a rescue company, and they're like, "All right, call your mate in." I was like, eh. "Like what in the hell are you doing?" <laughs> and like they looked at me like I was an idiot. I'm like, yeah. "That's how we did it in the academy." I'm like idiot. The radio's in your left pocket, but muscle memory. Yeah, you know. Well, just, that's the bad habits. Yeah. So. Yeah, they looked at me like I was an <laughs> idiot, and I looked at them like, "What? That's how we did it in the academy." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but unfortunately, that's one of those things where you learned a bad habit for the sake of training because you're short on equipment. You can't do that. I mean, that's something that could cost somebody their life. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, we'll take turns. And wear the radio, that's something for me, you know, that I've thought about and talk to other people about a little bit is setting up my gear exactly the same every time I know where everything is just because of where it's at on my body. You know, that way I don't have to think about it. I don't have to, whenever I'm in a fire go, Oh crap, where's my whatever? Because I know it's right here. I put it there. It's still there. You know, it's attached. And I know I can reach wherever and get whatever I need. I wear my axe on the same side. I, you know, mm-hmm. my light's always in the same place. Radio's always in the same place. I always forget my light. Yeah. I, that and I've had like four stolen from me. Or they were reacquired. Reallocated. So, like whatever. I just use the rig <laughs> ones and I'll, I'll grab it and I'm like, oh, it's dead. Great yeah, we won't get into that. Just my night vision. <laughs> my night vision I got. <laughs> oh, so final thoughts. Which turns with Jerry Springer episode. Oh, but we could fight. You watched Jerry, right? Yeah. That might have been. It was on regular it? TV. You had that channel. I did not actually have that channel. You didn't get regular TV down in Louisiana? I did. I got regular NBC. Okay. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't only get that channel oh, I had. Oh. So after, at the end no of the episode, states, Jerry Springer does no his final No wonder that state's turned blue. <laughs> Dude, I grew up three and a half miles down a dirt road. Yeah, no. And there was one TV station that we could pick up with our antenna. Cable was not a thing. You can get one of those big, like, redneck dishes in your yard no like eight foot suckers yeah no there was there was no paying for that <laughs> I think let's just say i grew up lower middle class okay i had a job when i was 10 years old just throwing hay count as a job because i had one of those too yeah Especially I was a kid with allergies that they just didn't care about. So I, I, I was just out there throwing hay, just covered in rashes. And yeah. <laughs> Dude, I bucked hay bales. I, I five bucks grass. an hour, though. I picked corn. I was like, like, like six cents a bale. Yeah. You throw no, all day in there. Do, like, Here's the corn, dollar check. Doing the corn husk like, thing hey. sucked. Yeah. Did that through hay bales at one time. Yeah. So I hated throwing yeah. hay. I was on a hay crew every year, and I hated it. Would we'll just say that I grew up country. So, yeah, the one TV channel that we had. He only had one shoe and had a hole in it. Walked uphill to school both ways. In In the the snow. snow. It's the Louisiana snow, so you know it's bad. (laughs) Why does it smell swampy? 
And once our big TV went Gator out, we set our new TV on top of the other TV. Yes. We did that. Yes. Yeah, we did that too. Yeah. Everybody did. That's just an 80s thing, I think. My, so, I mean, this was early 90s, but like the TV we had, it was color TV, but it had, I don't know, it was maybe 25 inches, I guess, but it was like in the big case, you know? Mm-hmm. And to change the channel, before we got our remote, like, had this little like flip down panel with a keypad, so you had to like. Mm-hmm. Wow. As a, a little kid, you had the keypad. Yeah, we so, had like a as a little knob. kid, you know, I like, had a knob. <laughs> I, had the, I had the keypad. I had the remote that was attached to a cord. That yeah, one time, you grew up rich, man. <laughs> yeah, like did not grow up rich. You know, you're sitting crisscross applesauce. You want to change shows? You're like scoot, 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 scoot up to the TV. <laughs> scoot, scoot, scoot back. <laughs> he said crisscross applesauce. <laughs> you want to play some heads up, seven up too? <laughs> oh, oh my god. Uh, I think the big one for me today is, is especially too, it's, it's not all, like we are doing the right things. Things are getting done, but we just, it's, we have to trust the process, but always strive to improve the process. Right. And I think consistency mm-hmm. is the thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see the changes. Um, I'm happy about most of them. Um, would and, I like stuff to go faster? Absolutely. You that's, know. that's the big piece. Yeah. But it's the consistency. Like, for me, it's it needs to be consistent work. And that's the thing with mental health that we kind of talked about is it's consistency. You have to stay on top of it. It's not a one and done. And that's things that that's something that people need to realize is that, yeah, you can have this problem. You can go do your treatment. You can come out. And you can think the world's all hunky-dory and great, blah, blah, blah. You're going to have a problem again. The, the stresses don't go away. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that you were dealing with when you were in treatment are still there. And they're still going to be there. It's totally up to you how you handle them and how you let them affect you. I think the other thing I've learned today, too, is this, especially like for current leaders, potential leaders, whether you're... You know, sergeant, lieutenant, the police department, captain on the fire service, charge nurse in an ER, like, just make it known, like, even if you don't want to be the person that people come to with the problems, if you're not ready for that, just delegate it. You know, if you're a captain, make it your driver. If you're a charge nurse, make it, you know, just your floating nurse, whatever for the day, just say, hey, here's our outlet for this. Here's our expectations for the job. Here's our expectations for yourself and your own mental health and well-being. Just make it a daily routine. Yeah, part of the general conversation. Mm-hmm. Chris, any final thoughts for the day? I think I think I hit. Just All right. You want, you want the information to be accurate. Yeah. I like to see the dip in numbers, but. I mean, you know, we're all hopeful that it will come. And eventually, you know, you have to hope that it will. If we keep doing the work, no, that's eventually. The, that's the hard part is getting people to keep doing the work. But I think what. Our last guest was talking about with the genera- generational changes and how they see things. I think that helps. I do. That's going to be because those are the future leaders, which is, you know, it was scary when we came on that we were the future leaders. <laughs> <laughs> and now that's one that yeah. scares the hell out of me. But, you know, it's it's making it a habit. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of compare, I, I did it in my paper, I compared mental health and you as a person to a tree. You're the trunk. Mental health, physical health, those are all your roots. You gotta have healthy roots. If you don't have healthy roots, the tree's gonna fall. Yeah, it'll wither and die. So, 
got to make sure your roots are healthy. Yeah. All right. God, the immature in me just was like, you got to be a tree. And I went back to like sixth grade, like, look at my branches. <laughs> kind of weird ass school did you come to? Oh, you, you ever had to play a tree in any play? No. no, no I was always a lead. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was never in one of the plays. Yeah. That's the fat kid that made up the fat, you know, whatever role. Like, we need a rock. Pick the fat kid. We need a big tree. Pick the fat kid. So, that was a tree. <laughs> All right. Well, that explains a lot. What? Nothing. I'm a way. great damn tree. Thank you. I'm Even good. better rock. Look at my branches. <laughs> yeah. I've tried to wake you up. A couple times. I know you're a rock. <laughs> Your mom right. didn't have any trouble waking me up. Oh. <laughs> Not going to go there. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, thanks for stopping by. And like we always say, if you are having a problem, reach out to somebody. Resources are out there. If you know somebody that's having a problem, talk to them. Make them aware of the resources because uh, not everybody knows. So. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Thanks.